You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. And so as we get started here this morning, I told you last week that we're kind of dissecting the Bible from a helicopter view where we're looking at stories all the way from Abraham to Jesus this summer. And as we're doing that, we're looking at these figures through the lens of uh, all of them had something in common. All of them lived in very unsettled times. And so in the midst of our unsettled, we want to look at how they flex their spiritual muscle or exercise their faith in the unique season that God has called them to. And so as we start this thing off, uh, we're going to start with a character named Abraham. And so that's why we sang this Father's Day, Father Abraham had many sons. I mean, you know the storyline. And so um, I, I don't know what this looks like downtown or what this looks like at home, but I saw about in this space 60% participation in that. And so uh, we're going to get up again. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But as we, as we look through this lineage of Abraham, you're, you're going to see something happen in his life that I think many of us can relate to. Abraham gets told these things, these promises from God, and his, kind of his whole story from God kind of plays out like this, and maybe you can relate to this. It's kind of this idea of, Abraham, do you trust me? Abraham, do you believe in me? Abraham, do you follow me? Because one of Abraham's key tests in his life is this test of waiting. Can you relate to that? Right? God shows you something, and you think that it's right around the corner. And years later, you're going, I already thought that he was going to do that. And so what you're going to see is Abraham, in chapter 22 of, of Genesis, greatest trial that he's ever faced, enter into his life. And by the time the story picks up, Abraham is at the ripe young age of 100. And so Abraham, being 100, does something that none of us have done. He has his firstborn son. And in fact, he's been waiting a long time for this son because the whole waiting process was about his son. The whole waiting process was you're going to get married, and then there's going to be a generation after you and after you and after you. And God even says at the end of this text that I'm going to give you so many descendants that they're going to be like the stars in the sky. But the problem is he finds Sarah at an old age, and yet he still does not have children. And so Abraham's confused, and Abraham's probably frustrated. But 30 to 40 years later, he finally has this son. And I want you to write a concept down about the process of waiting as we get started this morning. And so this isn't for a kid's sermon buck. This is for adults. God was not simply trying to take Abraham somewhere. Write this down. God was trying to make Abraham into someone. He wasn't trying to just take him to a place. He was trying to make him into a person. And so now Abraham has this son Isaac. And, and to everyone's shock and dismay, God says, I want to just see how loyal you are to me. And he tells him to take the one thing that he's wanted his whole life, and he tells him to do what? He tells him to sacrifice his only son. And of course, this whole thing points to Christ to come. But follow this with me. Look at verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. Abraham. 
And God said to him, Abraham. And he says, here I am. And so I want to just break down that statement. You can keep looking at the scripture if you choose to. But the way that this story translates, the way that the scripture translates, is what he's actually saying is this. He's saying, Lord, here I am. And the way it translates in the Hebrew is, I stand ready for your command. God, whatever you want to do in my life, no matter how great the cost, I am ready and willing to be used by you. And what God's going to call him to do is going to blow his mind. But here's what we know about Abraham. Here's what stands him out amongst so many others. Even in this generation, there's just very few Abrahams because what's so unique about Abraham is every time God calls him into this place and he says, here I am, he is calling him to leave something, to leave something good or attempt something impossible. Like God never calls Abraham and says, Abraham, I've got a really good situation for you. I've got a really good job that I want you to go have. I've got a really good you know, house that I'm going to build for you. It's always, hey, Abraham, I want you to leave this place of comfort, and I want you to go to a place that's uncomfortable. Abraham, I'm finally going to give you a son, but now I am going to take your son away. And so I don't know, maybe you guys have had people like that in your life. I don't know. But you ever have those people in your life that the phone rings, and you see their number or because of modern technology, you even literally see their face, and there's that little button on the phone, isn't there? And that button on the phone says, I'll talk to you later. And you can't push the button too early, because when you push the button too early, what happens? They know that you just dodged them, right? And so you kind of just push silent. And I've never done that to you, but maybe you've done I don't know. I mean, after all the things that Abraham's been through at this point in his life, when God says, Abraham... The last thing that he probably wants to say in this moment of surrender is, God, here I am. And look what happens in verse 2. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you what? Whom you love. It's Father's Day. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so the next verse says this. So Abraham, look at his obedience. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Here's what I want to focus in on. We've talked about this character before in church. This is my favorite part of the story because it most represents my own dysfunctions. Abraham hears this call from God, and pay attention to this. God tells him just straight up, I'm going to sacrifice your son. In fact, I want you to do it. And of all the stories in the Old Testament, how many of you have had maybe the hardest time with this type of story, right? This is a very difficult story when you look at the character and nature of God. And you have to understand the Bible in its entirety to really understand the point of this story. But as you hear this story, your kind of heart breaks as a father on Father's Day, doesn't it? And so what's so unique about this story is not that Abraham said, here I am. It's that one day passes, and then two day passes, and then on the third day, Abraham is still looking up the mountain to fulfill the request that God has given him. And still in the third day... 
And the third day, Abraham has the faith to still say in this moment, once he's thought about it, once he's looked at everything that this is going to cost him, he still has the faith and the courage to say, God, where have you called me to go? I'm going to go up this mountain and I'm going to sacrifice my son, my only son who I've waited for so long for. Here's what I want you to hear this morning, you guys. Real faith has sticking power. Real faith manifests on the third day. Real faith saddles up the donkey in the storyline. Real faith begins when the goosebumps are gone. He's not just in a moment where God's speaking to him. He's had three days to process, and he still says, here I am. Here's a sermon buck statement for you kids. I want you to write this down. Here's your first one. This is worth like a million dollars. I don't know how it translates in children's ministry currency, but I want you to write it down. What drove Abraham up this mountain was a deep-rooted belief that God is faithful. No matter what you have for me, Lord, I know that you're faithful. Look at verse 9 in Genesis. This This is what the Bible says. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order to, and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. All right, here's where the plot thickens. Here's where the story gets really juicy. And in fact, here's where a lot of us, when we read the Bible, and, and especially in an isolated narrative, have a problem with this storyline. Isaac's 15 years old. Remember we preached from David last week? Do you remember how old he was? He was 15 years old. God uses people, young and old, for great things according to his purposes. And as Isaac is 15 years old and his dad is 100, I want you to just do the math. I firmly believe in this thing called old man strength. And old man strength is this. I shouldn't be stronger than you. Any dads in this place? I shouldn't be stronger than you, but... Because I have this mental advantage of, of you as, my, as your father, I can still take you. And so I think Toby Keith said something like, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as, how's it go, as I ever was, right? That's called old man strength. I got you one time on the basketball court. I've got you one time in this situation. So, so of all of that being true, of that being said, here's what I also know. When you are 100, I've never been 100, when you are 100, I would imagine all of that goes out the window, doesn't it? And so you have this 100-year-old man and this 15-year-old boy. And how many of you know, here's what's so amazing about Isaac. How many of you know that if Isaac at any point wanted to not follow God and not follow his father, he could have gotten off the altar and just canceled everything going on in this circumstance? Or the backstory is Isaac is saying to his father, you know, why are we doing this? Where are you taking me? And Abraham's just saying, you know, just trust, just trust, just trust. Here's the last sermon buck statement that I want you to hear this morning. Isaac obeyed his father because he trusted God. It wasn't just about trusting Abraham. It was about obeying Abraham, that's a word for our youth this morning, this Father's Day. He ultimately said, I'm going to do what my father tells me to do, even if it's getting tied to an altar and costing me my life, because my trust is in God himself. Man, that is an amazing testimony of a young man in Scripture. And so Isaac obeys. 
And in verse 11, the Bible says this. But the angel of the Lord called to him from the heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. And seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up to him as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now check this out. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Write that down. That's a sermon buck statement. The Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord shall be provided. The storyline here is that God always provides for his children. God always takes care of what he says he's going to take care of. And here's how the story ends. And the Bible says this, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son. Here's the promise. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. God says, I'm going to now do everything that I've said I'm going to do. And so this Father's Day, here's how I want to apply this text. And just just as a starting point, how many of you heard this story before? Everyone knows this story. But here's what I want us to walk away from. And as we walk away with these two concepts and we leave this place here this morning, I want you to know that this first concept has the potential and the capacity to radically revolutionize the way you see your role specifically as a father. And so the first thing that I want us to walk away from is this idea that faith is caught. It's not just taught. And I'm just going to say that again because it sounds kind of weird, but I want you to understand the idea behind that statement, that faith is caught and not just taught. Right? Isaac heard about the faithfulness of God his entire life. And so what's going on in our world right now is, is some of you, you know, you've grown up in church your entire life. In fact, just to be very real so we're all on the same page, there is a mass exodus culturally and nationally in the local church. Which if people are going to a place of worship week after week after week and hearing the good news about Jesus Christ, I'm talking about churches that actually preach the Bible, and there's still this mass exodus, what in the world is going on? Here's the difference between what Abraham did in his parenting and so many of us have chosen to do, even maybe on a subconscious level in our parenting. Abraham didn't just tell Isaac the right things. Abraham takes this torch of faith and he passes it down to the generation in front of him and his faith is not just taught, it's caught and he literally lights a fire in Isaac's heart where now Isaac is a 15-year-old young man watching his dad every time the Lord calls on caller ID. Every time he calls him to this point in life, it's something that's very much almost impossible and something that he probably doesn't want to hear. And he watches his dad stay faithful no matter the circumstance. And he sees a faith that doesn't just have lip service to it, but is actually something that's alive and active and attached. And here's like kind of the money point, right? It's attached to sacrifice. Abraham never just tells his son, these are the subset of things that you need to believe. He says without words, this is exactly how I want you 
to live. And when God calls Abraham to take his most personal asset, how many of you can relate to that? The most personal asset you possess is your children. Like if God said, I want you to take these things and put them on the altar, I want you to take your job and I want you to put it on the altar. In fact, a lot of times missionaries will get accolades for, for being a part of such sacrifice. I want you to take your hopes and your dreams and I want you to put them on the altar. But to this point in the storyline, how many of us could go, well, that's something that I might think about doing if I audibly hear from the Lord. If not, I'm going to think that's just my own, you know, delusions. But I'm going to do that if God calls me to do that, and I hear from him specifically. But if he asks for the most precious commodity in my life, my one and only son, man, I don't know if I'm going to pick up that phone call. Isaac represented something in Abraham's life that we can't miss. He represented his legacy. He represented his hopes. He represented his dreams. And God calls him to take on that type of sacrifice. And all the time, and all the time, this 15-year-old boy is watching this character manifest in this moment. Check this out. That he's been observing his whole life. And that faith in Isaac's heart manifests in his father's life. He sees it happen. In a generation where literally, if you just watch, and I I don't want to get like real political here or anything like that, but just think about this for a second. What is the number one thing you're seeing, no matter your political stance in this moment of time? Are you not seeing a massive amount of passion from the generation right under me? Are you guys checking with that? Are you noticing what's going on? I want, to put, I want you just for a second, put down your ideology, and I want you to think about this thought for just a minute. Why is everyone so passionate? Maybe there's a hundred answers to that question. But I want to propose to you this, this idea. That maybe this generation is so incredibly passionate. Maybe the reason for that is they're just fundamentally starving for the gospel. Maybe they don't even realize That's what they're really searching for. And so they're going from cause to cause to cause. And they're just starving for something that's not just taught. This generation has literally said, fathers, this generation has literally said, my generation and the one right under me has said, check please, I don't think I need this. They have left the faith in droves. But the thing is, they have this issue with their heart where they're still searching. And so they're always going to fill it with something passionately. What if that thing that they really wanted was Jesus Christ himself and they had no idea that that was what they really needed? What if, what if all of that can be understood through the paradigm of people are searching for something and that's just never going to change? This generation is starving for a faith that doesn't just have a certain set of beliefs but says, I want to show you how to live this thing out. I'm going to give everything to this cause and this gospel of Jesus Christ. Fathers, I want everyone to kind of hone in on this reality. It's not that it's not a lot of things going on to create such a deficit of the gospel, but hear me say this, fathers, pay attention. The fundamental primary responsibility falls on us. Research shows that as culture experiences decline and devastation, 
There is a direct correlation between all of the things that are going on culturally and the role of the father. In fact, if, if I was Satan himself, which sounds weird to say in church, but if I was him and I had one primary strategy to attack culture and to kind of pull people away from the gospel, it would be to attack this idea of headship in the family and the father's role. Research just specifically shows us, I was looking at it uh, from, from, from a research perspective this morning, that there are higher graduation rates, there's less poverty, there's better health, and this is just general stuff, higher academic achievement, better employment rates, higher levels of community involvement, higher levels of curricular, extracurricular activity. Altogether, if, if there's just this one thing that's happening, and guess what it is? I just gave it away. This isn't Christian stuff if the Father is just present. And when you take those things away, in fact, here's just a weird statistic. Following divorce, children are 50% more likely to experience health problems. All of these things are taking place when the Father is absent, when the Father doesn't look like Father Abraham. But real leadership aggressively pursues the call of God on its life. And this passionate generation searching for something, I can promise you this, there's an absolute father wound in the middle of all of it. And Abraham isn't just teaching his son a set of beliefs. Abraham is showing him this is what it looks like to follow God no matter the request. I was having lunch yesterday with a guy that's about to be a freshman in college, and he's about to go play basketball at, at, at Northern. And he's a good young man. He's just a good-hearted kid. He loves Jesus. And he, he was saying to me, he's saying, you wouldn't believe, because I go to a Christian school, or I did, you wouldn't believe the drop-off. He said, of all of, all of my friends in the last four or five years, he's, he's connected. He said, man... Like, I, we, we've all been taught the same things. We all believe, you know, we've all at least said that we believe. Here's the Bible. Here's its inerrancy. Here's what I'm all about. He said, you wouldn't believe. It's like 70%, 80% of all of my friends, they go off to college, and man, now they're on Facebook saying stuff that I couldn't even believe they would have said two or three years ago. And, and so the only thing I can kind of boil it down to is this reality in life that if it's just something that's taught and not something that's caught, it could be at a Christian school where all the right things are taught. It could be at a Bible-believing church where all things are taught. If it's not happening in the home where they're seeing their father and their mother saying, this is the faith that I'm putting on display for you in my home and I'm showing you the sacrifice. If that's not happening at a heart level by the leader of the home, everything else can crumble. Here's the last thing that we're going to close with. God cares as much about the process as he does the destination. Here's what makes this story so great. Here's something I missed the first few times I read it. As Abraham and Isaac are walking out their faith, in the middle of all of this storyline where there's an altar built and three days and saddling up a donkey, in the middle of all of that taking place, you guys, God is so relational with them. God is right with them in the middle of everything that's going on. 
And he doesn't just care about where he's taking these, these two young men and this old man. He doesn't just care that, you know, okay, here's the promise at the end of this text. Here's what makes God so different, and here's what makes Christianity so different. We talked about this a few weeks ago with the, just the character and nature of God in Psalm 23. That God is someone who's with you in the process, who's with you in the weeds, and he cares as much about the process as he does the destination. Because check this out, it's within the process that deep dependence on him is made. He knows that in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of saddling up this donkey to take this son to a place that he never wanted to have to go, in the midst of all of that, Abraham is showing Isaac something that's going to pay dividends in the future. God doesn't even need what you have to offer with your sacrifice. But trust me on this one, God absolutely wants the heart that you offer it with. God loves the process. Right? We struggle with things, right? And here's what I say in my struggle. Here's how I justify my struggle. When there are things that happen in my life and I don't want them to happen, I'll usually say something to the effect of, well, this is really bad, but it's going to lead to something good. How many of you said that? Here's what I know about God that makes him so unique. That he actually finds good in both the struggle and what the struggle produces because what he's so concerned about is drawing yourself closer to him. That it's in this hardship, it's in this low valley experience, in this mountaintop reality that he moves in all of these ways. And I just want to close with this. Fathers, does your leadership look like Abraham? Are we leading in a way where the Isaacs of the world are seeing something that's real and something that's tangible and worth investing their passions into? Are we leading in a way that puts Christ on display? Because this whole story, here's how we're going to close this out. It's so obvious, isn't it? This whole story points to someone, and that somebody is who? Jesus. We look at this story in a vacuum. We look at this story in just such isolation where we say to ourselves, Man, how could God ever call this man to make this sacrifice? How many of you thought that? And then you understand the whole Bible and you understand that not only does God say, hold it, this was something that I was trying to show you because I care about the process and the destination. He wasn't just saying that. He's saying this is a precursor for what I'm going to show you real sacrifice and what it looks like because now a couple thousand years later, I'm going to send my son, my only son, And his name's not Isaac, his name is Jesus. And he's going to be sacrificed for your sins. He's going to go to a cross and he's going to shed his blood. He's going to rise from death and he's going to conquer it. And I'm going to show you what it looks like to have a faith through the power of the Holy Spirit that isn't just taught, but it's caught. And he's opening up our eyes to the gospel this morning through this Old Testament story of Isaac and Abraham. And fathers, I promise you, if we can grab a hold of this reality, it can change everything. Do you know this God of Abraham who makes this promise early and then fulfills the promise through his son Jesus and who gives us a faith that isn't just cognitive, but it's heart transforming? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We come to this place
we listen online, and we just confess that you are the Savior. And we ask you, especially as fathers in this time here together, give us the wisdom and give us the supernatural ability to not just tell our kids about who you are, but show them what it looks like to love you with passion, to love you with sacrifice, and to love you in a place of complete dependence. We pray these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.